Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Well, good morning, church. Ah, I was seven of you. Good morning, church. Amen. Happy New Year to you. We find ourselves in the house on the first Sunday of 2020. Amen. There's so many different places you could have been, but I believe that God has got you here for a reason, and I'm going to do my best to make sure that that reason is uh, fulfilled. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be in 2020. As Pastor Shane was talking about Y2K, I remember we were in this building worshiping the Lord into 2000. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew whatever happened, God was going to be on our side. And so 20 years later, man, instead of uh, New Year's Eve worship, we had a New Year's Eve wedding, amen. And so if you guys were here, you got to experience just a wonderful time of uh, Garrison and Tracy getting married and uh, the, the baby of the bunch in the first family is married off. So now you don't have to worry about no weddings for like another 20 years or something like that, right? Bless the Lord. So it was great. And uh, I, I love being in the house of God and then the things that you get to experience. And if you were here, there was a moment where they took communion and Pastor Tracy and Garrison had like the dream team of people praying for them. And in that moment, I was like, man, I want those guys to pray for me. And the Holy Spirit was like, be happy for her. And I think a lot of times you're like, oh, I want that. I want that. I want that. But what God has for you, God has for you. Amen. And you want to make sure that you grab a hold of that and quit worrying about what God is doing for somebody else. And so I don't know if that'll preach in 220, but um, yeah, that's what I had to say. And then Pastor Wendy last week, I love that she was sharing what she was sharing about. And she used the words transfiguration as uh, being in a mirror. And, and again, the mirror only reflects what's in it. It doesn't reflect anything different. But as she was talking about transfiguration, there's another space in the Bible that talks about transfiguration. And Jesus is on the mountaintop with his three disciples. I don't know if you remember the story. And he's up there and he's meeting with Elijah and he's meeting with Moses. Now, I always wonder why he was meeting with Elijah and why he was meeting with Moses, because Abraham's like the father of our faith. So if you were going to meet with somebody from the Old Testament, just in my mind, I'm thinking, well, why is he not meeting with Abraham? He's like, you know, the father of our faith. And then David's my guy in the Old Testament. So I'm thinking, man, you, Jesus, you should have had Abraham. You should have had David up there. It would have been a much more productive meeting. So that's... That was just me, the way that I processed. But the Bible says in the New Testament that from the time of Moses to John the Baptist, the law and the prophets were preached. From the time of Moses to John the Baptist, the law and the prophets were preached. That's all anybody could preach because all you had was the law. Moses brought the law and then the prophets were prophesying about Jesus. So when Jesus was on the mountaintop meeting with Elijah and Moses, it wasn't about a church service that was going on up there. I think it was about the closing of an era because Moses was the one who brought the law. And so Jesus is like, Moses, you brought the law. Thank you. You can go now. Elijah was the most powerful prophet. So he's meeting on the mountaintop with those two. And it says, from that time forward, Jesus preached the kingdom of God. He didn't have a deliverance ministry. He didn't have a restoration ministry. He didn't have a healing ministry. He didn't have a prosperity ministry. He preached the kingdom of God. He healed to bear evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand, but he wasn't preaching the healing. He was preaching God in heaven. He did prosperous things for people. He did miracles, but he did the miracles to bear evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand. And I love it. Pastor Ken starts talking about the kingdom of God. Pastor Chris, Dr. Stan, I mean, I'm, I feel like a fat kid unattended in a candy store. I, I, you know? <clears throat> 
You're like, why are you picking on the fat kids? I was talking about me. I get excited when we preach about the kingdom of God because that's all Jesus did was preach about the kingdom. Then he bared evidence that the kingdom of God was at hand. And so my assignment today is to talk about the principle of kingdom faith, the principle of kingdom faith. And if you don't know, you should know that God is a God of principles and his principles never change. Say that again. God is a God of principles and his principles never change. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and every leap year. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. God is the same yesterday, today, and every fifth Sunday. No, God is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. His principles never change. His systems may change, meaning the way that he does things, the way that he showed up yesterday might not be the same way that he shows up tomorrow, but the principle is that he always shows up. His word says he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So no matter what it looks like, no matter what you feel like, the principles of God never change. Does that make sense? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Webster's defines principle as a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as a foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. A fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. So the word of God is the truth. It's not just a truth. The word of God is the truth, and it serves as the foundation for us in our relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? Whether you're a Christ follower or a Christ seeker, it is the foundation, and it's the reason why we strive to live our lives with the proper response to God's grace, which is kingdom faith living. And we're going to get into talking about kingdom faith and the difference between just regular faith and kingdom faith, Christian faith or church faith and kingdom faith. But just for a second, I asked this question to my football guys. I'm like, so, so who's your favorite hero, superhero? Marshall. Superman. All right. Anybody else? Who? Black Panther? Wakanda forever. No. Uh, <laughs> I've been waiting to do that for a long time. No. <laughs> Who else? I had some Thor. Yeah. Batman. Batman is not really a superhero, like with a supernatural ability, because Batman's just a rich guy with a bunch of gadgets. Okay. So now. <laughs> but if you blow up the Batcave and the mansion, there's no super in Batman. So they're all superheroes. They all have something, some supernatural ability that causes them to be called superheroes. But long before Marvels, long before the Avengers, long before the Justice League and, and DC comic strips, there was a group of superheroes in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 11, and they all had the same superpower. And that superpower was faith. They all did wonderful exploits in the name of God, but they all had the same superpower and that superpower was faith. And so if you allow me, it'll be a little bit of Bible reading, but I'm going to read this Hebrews 11, some of the verses there from the Message Bible, and I want you to follow along if you will. So verse 1, it says, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors. It's what set them above the crowd. One translation says that, that, that the ancients were commended for their faith. It says in verse 4, by an act of faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice to God than Cain. It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. Catch that. It was what he believed, not what he brought, that made the difference. 
When you're bringing your offering, when you're being generous, what is it that you believe? That's more important than what you bring. That's what God noticed and approved as righteous. And after all these centuries, that belief continues to catch our notice. Verse 5 says, by an act of faith, Enoch skipped death completely. They looked all over and couldn't find him because God had taken him. And it says, we know on the basis of reliable testimony that before he was taken, he pleased God. Enoch's faith caused him to be pleasing to God. Verse 6, and you're going to hear this over and over again today. It says, it's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. By faith, Noah built a ship in the middle of the dry land. He was warned about something he couldn't see, and he acted on what he was told. Watch this. Noah's faith caused him to have a communication device that allowed him to hear things that other people couldn't hear. His faith, not his talent, not his ability, not his wisdom, not his pedigree, not his family lineage. His faith caused him to have a communication device that caused him to be able to hear from God things that other people couldn't hear. And it says the result of that, his family was saved. His act of faith drew a sharp line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the rightness of the believing world. And as a result, Noah became intimate with God. Man. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. Verses 9 and 10, by an act of faith, he lived in the country, promised him, lived as a stranger, camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the same, living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye on an unseen city with real eternal foundations, the city designed and built by God. By faith, Baron Sarah, that's not a good nickname. But by faith, barren Sarah was able to become pregnant, old woman as she was at the time, because she believed the one who made a promise would do what he said. Because she believed the one who made the promise would do what he said. That's how it happened, that from one man's dead and shriveled loins, there are now people numbering into the millions. By faith, Abraham, at the time of testing, offered Isaac back to God. Acting in faith, he was as ready to return the promised son, his only son, as he had been to receive him. And this, after he had already been told, your descendants shall come from Isaac. Verse 19, Abraham figured that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. And in a sense, that's what happened when he received Isaac back alive from off the altar. By an act of faith, Isaac reached into the future as he blessed Jacob and Esau. By an act of faith, Jacob on his deathbed blessed each of Joseph's sons in turn, blessing them with God's blessing, not his own, as he bowed worshipfully on his staff. By an act of faith, Joseph, while dying, prophesied the exodus of Israel and made arrangements for his own burial. By an act of faith, Moses' parents hid him away for three months after his birth. They saw the child's beauty and they braved the king's decree. By faith, Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptian royal house. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than the opportunistic sort of life of sin with the oppressors. By an act of faith, Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptians tried it and they drowned. Now, let me stop just for a minute. We live in a dispensation of time where we've got a lot of preachers. You guys hear a lot of podcasts, you watch a lot of YouTube, you read a lot of different books, and you listen to people talking all over the world. But, but let me try to explain something to you. You shouldn't try to walk on a word that God gave to somebody else. 
Stephen Furtick, I love Stephen Furtick, but Stephen Furtick is preaching to his congregation, dealing with things that are going on in their congregation. The word is good, but he's not always necessarily speaking to you. And the problem for us as church people, as Christians, we grab a hold on to somebody else's word, and then that word doesn't work for us. And then we get discouraged and we get mad at God because it's not working. But you see what happened to the Egyptians. God didn't tell the Egyptians to walk through the Red Sea. He told the children of Israel. And when the Egyptians tried it, they drowned. Don't you drown on a word that God did and give to you. Amen. I've deviated. I'm sorry, but God's got his, he got a word for you. Amen. It says by faith, they marched around the Israelites, marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days and the walls fell flat by an act of faith. I love this Rahab, the Jericho harlot. So she wasn't a child. She wasn't an Israelite. She was a Canaanite. She lived in a place that God had promised to the people of God. So she was an enemy of the children of Israel. She was a prostitute. Yet her faith, her faith caused her to be transported from one identity to the next. And she somehow becomes Jesus' great-grandmother by faith. Enemy of Israel, prostitute, bad life, but faith caused her to have a new identity. What will your faith do for you? Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. There are so many more, Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets. Through acts of faith, watch this, they toppled kingdoms. Through acts of faith, they made justice work. Through acts of faith, they took the promises for themselves. Through acts of faith, they were protected from lions and fires and sword thrusts. Through acts of faith... They turned disadvantage to advantage. By acts of faith, they won battles, and they routed the alien armies. By faith. Somebody say, by faith. Come on, if you'll bow with me in prayer. Father God, again, we thank you that you're an awesome God and a faithful God, and we're grateful for this opportunity that you've given us to come into this place, Heavenly Father, and hear a word from you, Heavenly Father, knowing that if we grab hold to the truth of your word, our lives will be changed forever because of this moment in your presence, Heavenly Father. And so I pray, God, that you would help me to articulate whatever it is that you desire to say to your children, Heavenly Father, and I pray that you would give us all ears to hear, a mind to understand, a heart to receive, and a faith and a boldness to walk out whatever it is that you would say in this space today, God, and we love you, we praise you, we bless you, and we expect you to do amazing things, not just today, but throughout 2020. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Now, personally, I love talking about faith because this is what I believe. I believe that faith is the only thing, it's, it's the one thing that if I can get the faith thing right, that I can be successful in every other area of my life. If I can just get this faith thing Right. I can be successful in everything else that God asked me to do. Scripture again, Hebrews eleven six, 6, and I told you you hear a lot about it today. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and then believe that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. The only thing that causes us to be pleasing to God is our faith, and I'm going to make this case throughout the morning. And it's not just that we have a need for faith, but we have a need for the right kind of faith. Does that make sense? We don't just have a need for faith. We have a need for the right kind of faith. And I fear that a lot of what we in the church are calling uh, faith today really ends up being optimism or it ends up being like a convenient expectation. Well, you know, being better is, is being, being healed is better, 
better than being sick, so I'll just believe that I'm going to get better. Optimism says, oh, well, everything's going to work out. You know, like the universe will somehow work it out. Optimism is good. It's just not biblical. You don't want to be found guilty of walking in convenient expectation or walking in convenient uh, optimism when the Bible says that we walk by faith. Does that make sense? Oh, I believe it's going to work out. Again, that's optimism. And, and that's not bad. It's just not biblical. Watch this. Optimism doesn't have an object into which the optimism goes into. The Bible says that faith has an author. It has someone that it comes from, and it has a finisher. It has somebody that it goes back into. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Optimism says, yeah, it's all going to work out. Faith says, God is going to work it out. You see the difference? Faith. And faith is the equipment, in case you didn't know, faith is the equipment that you will use in every season of your life, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, regardless of your social class, regardless of where you came from. It always boils down to faith. It's all about faith. And I have a newsflash for some of you, maybe to inform some of you guys and to uh, remind others. The devil is not after your marriage. I counsel people, oh, the devil's after my marriage. The devil's not after your job. Now, I don't know where you work. You could work at Micron. You could work at Walmart. You could work at HP. But could you really see the devil up at your cubicle typing? <laughs> if you can't handle your spouse, what makes you think the devil can handle your spouse? The devil's after my kids. The devil is not after your kids. The devil is after your faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So the devil will attack your marriage to cause you to be faithless, but he doesn't want your wife. He doesn't want your husband. He wants you to give up. The devil might attack your finances, but he can't spend your money. He's not going on a shopping spree. The devil is after your faith because he knows that's the thing that causes you to be pleasing to God. So he's trying to rob you of your faith. John 10, 10 says the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I think sometimes we get so focused on the destroy and on the kill, we don't even take into consideration that the devil's robbing of us of, us, of, us, of our faith. Could it be that sometime from the beginning of 2019 to the end, the devil robbed you of some of your faith? And maybe this is why the power of God wasn't manifest in your life like we expected it to be. Could it be that the devil knows this principle about faith? And he says, if I can get you to be faithless, I can cause you not to be pleasing to God. At the beginning of the day, you need faith because it's the only thing that causes you to be pleasing to God. At the end of the day, you need faith because it's the only thing in you that threatens the devil. The devil's not scared that you're gifted. The devil doesn't care that you sing really well or that you work really hard. That, that has nothing to do with it. The devil gets frightened when men and women of God walk in kingdom faith. Your faith is the only thing in you that threatens the devil. And I love this. I love how God is fair and God is just. And so watch this. If it was by talent that we would become pleasing to God, then God wouldn't be just because some of us are more talented than others. If it was by intellect that you became pleasing to God, 
I'd have to be going to Dr. Stan or Pastor Chris or uh, Evans to, 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 to be pleasing to God. And God wouldn't be fair because I'd always have to be leaning on them. If being a wonderful singer, having a beautiful voice was the criteria that caused you to be pleasing to God, then some of you guys would have to come to Koki or you'd have to go to Shannon or you'd have to come to me because we sing a little bit better than some of you sing. I'm not picking on you. Don't get me wrong. I will take a worshiper over a great singer all day long. I go to war with that. But God is just because he says what requires you to be, what causes you to be pleasing to him is faith. And Romans 12, 3 says that God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. So that thing that causes you to be pleasing to God, God has already deposited in you. And he says, give it back to me. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because whoever comes to him must believe he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so the one thing about God giving us all a measure of faith is that nobody can make the excuse that they didn't have what it took to be pleasing to God. Oh, my wife, Lord, and my wife. And you're like, how come you say my husband? Because I'm a guy and I wouldn't say my husband. But my wife, that wife you gave to me, when you start complaining to me about your wife, I'm going to start telling you about your God. My boss is just driving me crazy. They're just trying to, the devil's after my job. The boss is killing me. I'm going to start talking to you about your Savior. When you start throwing your issues at me and your problems, I'm going to remind you of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross so that you might live the kingdom life that God has called you to live. All of us are without excuse. So help me finish these sentences, if you would. The Bible says, the just shall live by. Come on, say it again. The just shall live by. The Bible says, healing comes by. Come on, the Bible says we walk by. The Bible says salvation comes by. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Amen. There's a couple of you guys that you'll get it. Before it's over, you're going to help me preach this message. Amen. And now everybody in the room has some type of faith. But you need to continually ask yourself, is this really the type of faith that God is asking me for? I deal with the football players and things like that. And I'll be like, man, Pastor Mark, I can catch. I can catch really good. I've seen you catch. I can run, I can throw, I can do all of these things. Some of you guys are remarkable businessmen. You're remarkable parents. You're remarkable. I cannot fix, I can fix a song and a sandwich. That's all I can fix. When stuff is broke, I go get Phil. Do I not feel? Phil's like, yes, he does. I go get Terry Cushing. I go call Dexter. Those are my three go-tos right there. I can't fix it, so I let them fix it. I do. But they have faith in their abilities. I have faith in their abilities. Some of you have more faith in your finances than you have in Jesus. Some of us have more faith in our abilities and our talents than we have in the word of God. That is not the type of faith that we're after today. That's not the type of faith that's going to cause you to be pleasing to God. So this is not necessarily a definition of faith, but this is how you know whether you're walking in faith. And this is a statement. You'll want to write it, write it down. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth all the time about everything. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth all the time about everything. Are you acting like God is telling the truth all the time about everything? That is kingdom faith. Now, lest you think that I'm picking on you and not really talking to me. So I have, I have two phobias, I guess, if you will. I probably have more than that, but I have two that kind of consume me. I do not like, I, I guess I'm claustrophobic, but I have this image of me like laying on my back, maybe in a coffin, and I'm not dead, and I can't get out. 
that consumes me. If I'm dreaming about that, I will wake up and like sweating and I can't go back to sleep. I mean, it, it, it really like consumes me. Or one time Hugh was wrestling with me and if you don't know my son, he's really big and he was laying on me and he hit that sweet spot and I couldn't breathe and I couldn't get up. He's stronger than me and I like panic. Hugh, get off your father. And it was, yeah. <laughs> it was a moment. Let me tell you, we've never wrestled since then. But so fast forward, last Thursday, I had to go get an MRI. And I had anxiety about this MRI because the lady's like, oh, so are you, you know, are you afraid of, you know, small spaces? I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't like small spaces. He's like, oh, well, have the doctor, like, prescribe you some Xanax or something like that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I do not want no pills because what if I freak out on the pills? I don't know what that's like, right? So I'm panicking. And I'm, I actually have these thoughts going through my mind. Man, what if the power goes out and I get stuck in there and I can't get out? You guys are laughing at me. This is real. This is, I'm, I'm really processing. I'm having these thoughts, right? Or if the power goes out, okay, Mark, the power's not going to go out. I'm thinking, so I get to the MRI place. It's early in the morning. There's one little itty-bitty lady in there, and then it's me. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, what if somebody comes in and robs the place, and they take her out, and I'm stuck in the machine? <laughs> God is my witness. I'm telling you the truth. Who robs an MRI scanning <laughs> imaging place? So Hugh was here, and I'm like, okay, I'll take Hugh with me, because if, any, if anything happens, my boy, he can, he can take care of me. Then I'm thinking, no, Hugh's kind of a jokester. He'll probably hold me in there for longer just to prove a point. So then I said, honey, you got to go with me. And it's just like, you know what, Mark? God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And I had to check my sound mind, because like I said, who robs an MRI imaging place? What's the chances of the power going out while I'm in the machine? Really, Lord, you brought me this far just to leave me. I had all these funky thoughts going through my mind, and I wasn't exercising my faith in God. So they're like, we had some music. You want some whatever music you want. So it was serious, and there was praise and, and, and the message. So I was like, give me, the, give me the worship music, right? And then when I got my head in that thing and they put the thing over you, the earphones were too tight. So then I'm like panicking. I can't have no music. So it was just me and that machine. And you know what? I, I made it. I had to trust in God. And then to top it off, it was an hour and a half. I'm like, why well, I got to be in the machine for an hour and a half? I mean, can't you take the picture in 15 minutes, right? So anyway, it's real. And some of you might have that real phobia. And, and it's real. But you know what? God is real as well. And the other person that I don't like or the other profession that I don't like is the dentist. And so I had to go in and have her not one root canal, but two root canals, one right before Christmas and then one on New Year's Eve. So I could barely eat the food at Tracy's wedding because my face was numb. But I saw the doctor like the week before. And I told him, Doc, I'm a little anxious. I got some anxiety. I'm just letting you know. So in case I draw back and try to punch you when you, you know, when you hurt me, just, just know I am saved. But this is a problem for me. <laughs> and I'm sitting in the chair and I'm expecting the pain. I'm not sitting in the chair expecting God that's going to deliver me from the pain. Last time I preached, I preached the message, what are you broadcasting? In that moment, I found myself not broadcasting that I believed God was able to keep me, that God was able to bring me through. I was in my own mind. I was in, but I jumped, I came over a hurdle. I'm, I'm cool. I, if I never have to do another MRI, I'm cool with that too. But if, if I do, I'm all right. Yeah, for now. <laughs> Kingdom faith. And I heard one pastor say, he asked this question. I'm going to pose it to you. He says, at the core. He says, at the core, what is it that God really wants from us? 
at the core, what is it that God really wants from us? And he said, if any relationship is going to be vibrant, if it's going to be fruitful or fulfilling, this question must be asked because you can't develop intimacy or closeness in any relationship without intentionally addressing this question. Whether it's a horizontal question or a horizontal relationship or a vertical relationship, you can't develop any intimacy without asking that question, what is it that this person really wants from me at the core? And he goes on to say, it's possible in a relationship that you can have good intentions and bad execution. In any relationship, it's possible that you could have good intentions and bad executions. And just here a little bit, of, a little bit, a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to give the book, uh, Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Language. You know, The Five Love Languages, and it talks about, hey, let me love you the way that you need to be loved, not just the way that I need to love you. And I was dealing with a couple that that was the problem. Oh, he's not loving me the way I need to be loved. And I'm thinking, he's doing a bunch of stuff. And I'm thinking, what you guys have here is a failure to communicate. He's doing the best he can because he's giving you what he thinks you need, but he's not giving you what you really need because you haven't expressed it. So at the core, what is it that God really wants from us? I think it's imperative that we as Christ followers or Christ seekers, and if you're in the building today, you're one of the two. You're either a follower of Christ or you're seeking Christ. I think it's imperative that we investigate and explore what it is at the core that God really wants from us. Does he want allegiance? Does he want obedience? Does he want worship? Does he want praise? Does he want my money? What is it that God wants from us. I think all of those things are, 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 are factual, but they're not the complete truth. At the core, at the core, I believe that God wants to be believed. At the core, God wants to be believed. I didn't say God wants to be believed in. I said at the core, God wants to be believed. James 2.19 says the demons believe and they tremble, but it doesn't change their behavior. So believing is not enough. When you say you have faith, here's the question. Does it change the way that you live? When you say you have faith, does it actually change the way you live? For me to believe God is to believe in his nature as well as to believe in his ability. It's as if to say, I believe that you are exactly who you say you are. As the scriptures have revealed you to me, I believe you're that. So if you say you're a way maker, I believe you're a way maker. If you say you're a promise keeper, I believe you're a promise keeper. If you say you're a light in the darkness, I believe that you're a light in the darkness. If you say that you're the peace in the middle of the storm, I believe that you are the peace in the middle of the storm. Come on, we sing the song, way maker, but do we believe it? If he says he's a miracle worker, do I structure my life around that truth? Or am I not believing that God will do what he said he would do? But it's also to say that I believe in your ability as well. I love this, and whenever I hear the scripture, I'm reminded of Pastor Kelly, because it says, Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Hold up. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask and all that we can think according to the power that works in us. What's the power that works in us? That's the power of the Holy Spirit, which you receive once you gave your life to Jesus Christ. That's the power. The fruit of the Spirit is the power. How do you appropriate the power? 
by faith. According to the power that works in us, not that comes from some other external situation or circumstance or thing, your money, your talent, your degrees, according to the power that works in us. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You say you're faithful, but do we always act like God will supply all of our needs? Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Does that make sense? So I just want to give you two quick principles or concepts, I guess, from the principle of kingdom faith. And the first one is the value of faith, the value of faith. It's not on the screen. You can write it down. But faith is valuable. So if you don't know or if you don't understand, faith is the currency of the kingdom. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. What money is to us in the earthly realm, faith is in the kingdom realm. Faith is the currency of the kingdom. One pastor, he was telling a story and he says, you know, son, what's money? He's like, oh, greenbacks. He's like, no, son. He's like, money's like this. If you got money, you can go places. And when you get there, you can do things. But then he said, faith is like that as well. He says, if you got faith, you can go places. And when you get there, you can do things. Now, I don't know about you, but it would be a terrible thing, and I'll use Disney World because we're kind of Disney World people in my, in my house. It would be a terrible thing to have enough money to get to Orlando and then not have enough money to leave the airport, to go to the parks, to eat, to ride rides, to do whatever it is that you're doing. That would be terrible. Maybe you're like, that would be great. We don't like Disney World. <laughs> Let me use Hawaii or some other exotic destination. It would be a terrible thing to have enough money to take the plane to Hawaii and not be able to leave the airport because you don't have enough money to do anything else. Does that make sense? On the flip side, it's a terrible thing to be a citizen of the kingdom of God and not be able to appropriate from the throne of grace the things that the king has available for you. Am I making sense? Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Somebody say, by faith. Come on, you can't do business in the kingdom of God without faith. Now, let me give you an example, because after the service, I'm hungry, and I'm going to go to Joe Mama's and get some food. Not your mama's, but Joe Mama's. They got this three-meat scramble. Marshall, I'm not going to have the waffle this time, just the protein, right? But I, I, got, I got like $40, right, because I got to feed my wife and my children. That probably won't do it, but I got some money. I'm hungry. I can't eat this. This will not work for me. This will not satisfy me. But what I can do is I can exchange this when I get to Joe Mama's for something that I can eat. Is that making sense? I can't eat this. I got the money, but I have to go exchange this for some food there that's going to satisfy my hunger. That's how faith works for you in the kingdom of God. You get to appropriate from the throne of grace all of the things that God has made available to you by faith. Your faith is an instrument of exchange. Now watch this. When I get to Joe Mama's to eat, it's not like they have to go out into the field and kill the cow or go over to Trader Joe's or Albertsons and get the eggs and the potatoes or whatever it happens to be. It's already there at the restaurant waiting for me. All I got to do is show up make my order, wait about 15 minutes, and my food comes. 
the things that God has available for you. Well, in June 2020, God's going to show up and he's going to show out. God is not trying to wait till June 2020 for you to receive the things that he promised that you could have. Your blessings are waiting. I'm just waiting on the Lord. You are not waiting on the Lord. Okay? And, and if you, you're like, I am waiting on the Lord. Okay, so let me qualify. If you are waiting on the Lord, and maybe that's in the realm of probability, it's, it's possible. But if you are going to say that, what are you waiting on God to do that he hasn't already done? You're not waiting for salvation. You're not waiting for peace. You're not waiting for joy. You're not waiting for healing. You're not waiting for strength. God has already given you all of these things. The way that I read my Bible, it says once Jesus said it was finished on the cross, it was finished. Once he was died and buried and rose to heaven and on the third day, it was done deal. Everything that God has for me is available to me. My faith allows me to appropriate it from the throne of grace. Does that make sense? So you're believing your faith activates the reality of the finished work on the cross. It's waiting on you. You're not waiting on it. So I've got three statements. You'll see them on the screen, and I'm going to have you kind of repeat them afterwards. But it says, it's the grace of God by faith that saved you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. It's the grace of God by faith that saves you. The next one says, it's the grace of God by faith that sustains you and keeps you. Psalm 55, 22 says, pile your trouble on God's shoulders. He'll carry your load. He'll help you out. He'll never let good people topple into ruin. And the third one says, it's the grace of God by faith that completes you. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So what is it? It's the grace of God. How do you get it? By faith. What does it do? It completes you. What is it? It's the grace of God. How do you get it? What does it do? It sustains you, keeps you and sustains you. What is it? It's the grace of God. How do you get it? And what does it do? It saves you. It completes you. It sustains you. Now, we, we sing the song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, Save the Wretch Like Me. His grace. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that brought me safe this far, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I what? The hour I first believed. At the moment that you exercised your faith, you were a recipient of the grace of God. At the moment you exercise your faith, you are a recipient of the promises of God. At the moment you exercise your faith, you are a recipient of all of the things that God has for you. It's the grace of God by faith that does everything. Somebody say by faith. So the value of faith was the first thing. And the second principle or the second concept, I want to talk about the rewards of faith. We're going to put it on the screen again. Hebrews eleven six 6 says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Number one, he wants to be believed in and that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly or diligently seek him. He wants to be believed. I fear that we have enough faith to believe in God, but we don't have enough faith to believe God. Sometimes it's not everybody's testimony, but I think it's more of our testimony than not. So through this scripture and other scriptures, we have to come to understand that the primary way we experience God's best for our life is by partnering with God through our faith. 
You know the scripture, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever have faith shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You had to participate. Your faith had to activate that promise. Does that make sense? Your faith activates all the promises of God. And in discussing the rewards of faithfulness, we got to talk about the promises of God. I don't really want to get you guys focused solely on the blessings and the favor and the promises of God, but the reality is God has good stuff for you. Amen? Uh, kingdom living. The king takes care of everything. I don't even have time to tell you, but the, I don't know, King Louis the Fourteenth or something, he had a northern kingdom and he had a southern kingdom. And when he was in the northern kingdom, I guess in the summertime, he took care of everything. He took care of all of the politicians. He took care of all of the guards. He took care of all the people. He took care of all the goats and the chickens. And when it got too cold in the northern kingdom, he, the king, moved everybody down to the southern kingdom. Nobody had to worry about a U-Haul truck or a rider truck. They didn't have to worry about hiring, you know, three guys college guys or whatever it is that comes and gets Pastor Chris, his people's, what is that, two, two, three guys, my three sons. Yeah, he didn't have to call them. The king took care of everything. Your king takes care of everything. Do you have enough faith to believe? Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Some of you are thinking, well, when I get to heaven, I finally have peace. You don't need no peace in heaven. Everybody in heaven's got peace. Well, when I get to heaven, I'll finally get my joy. You don't need no joy in heaven. Come on, according to what you've read in the Bible, what you think you know about heaven, does anybody, is anybody lacking joy in heaven? Is anybody lacking provision in heaven? Is anybody lacking hope in heaven? They are surrounded by the manifest presence of the living God. Nobody needs anything in heaven. You need the blessings of the Lord now in your life. You need the favor of the Lord now in your life. You need the provision of your God now in your life. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things that God has in store for those who love him, nor has entered into the heart of man. But if you don't walk in faith, you can't appropriate what God says that you can have. Matthew 7, 11, and somebody shared it in our prayer time this morning. It says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give, give, give good gifts to those who ask? The Bible says the promises of God are yes and amen. We sing the song, all your promises are yes and amen. I, there's, there's at least 3,000 promises in the Bible for us. It's more than that, but that's a conservative number that I can deal with. But this is what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. God has made promises. When I make a promise to my children, the promise is not based on their behavior. The promise is not based on anything other than my word that I promise to do something for them. When God makes a promise, he didn't wait for you to get good enough to make that promise. He made the promise before we were all saved. The promises of God are based on his integrity. The promises of God are based on his character. And as we read in the Bible, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If God said it, and if God promised it, it's ours for the taking. Pastor Mark, I haven't experienced it. Maybe there's a lack of kingdom faith going on. 
Now, why has God made the promises to his children? I, I love this scripture. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4 through the message translation, I think it is. It says, watch this. It says, everything that goes into a life of pleasing God has been miraculously given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. And it's the best invitation we've ever received. I love this about God. God will never ask you for anything that he hasn't already given you. God will never ask you for anything that he hasn't given you. In the NIV, it says his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. In Romans 12, 3, and we read the scripture, God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. So he's saying, hey, I need you to walk in faith. By the way, I've given you the faith that you need to walk in. So we get to Jude and it says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. But I've already given it to you. You got to work it out. But if you don't walk in faith, you will not be pleasing to God, but he's not asking you for something that he hasn't already given you. Verse four says, we were also given, and I love this, absolutely terrific promises. I don't know if you're catching that, that terminology, but absolutely terrific promises. We as human beings know how to give good promises, but I don't know if we know how to give absolutely terrific promises. They were given to pass on to us. They are our tickets to participation in the life of God after we've turned our back on a world corrupted by lust. The promises of God were given to us so that we could participate, so that we could flourish in this divine relationship that God instituted. He said that the way that you appropriate those promises is by, by faith. Some of you guys still not with me, but that's okay. Children of Israel, they came out of captivity and their destination was the promised land. Who promised it to them? God promised it to them. So it didn't matter what was in the land before them. God promised them the land and the land was going to be theirs. Now there was some opposition that they had to overthrow, but the land was still theirs. And this you need to know in case you're thinking, oh, it's just all gumdrops and lollipops or whatever that happens to be. All of God's promises will be occupied with opposition that must be overthrown. All of God's promises will be occupied with opposition that must be overthrown. But your willingness to overthrow the opposition is an indication that you believe it belongs to you. All the promises of God will be occupied with opposition. The devil does not want you to walk in peace. The devil does not want you to walk in joy. The devil does not want you to make it in heaven. But your willingness to overthrow that opposition shows that you believe that the promise is for you because nobody fights for something they don't believe is theirs. You don't fight for a relationship that you don't think God ordained. You don't fight for a thing that you don't think is for you. You don't fight for your children's hope and your children's future if you didn't really think it was that important. Nobody fights for something that they didn't believe belonged to them. Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. And could it be, it's just a thought, could it be that some of the promises of God that belong to you and I are not being experienced because of a lack of faith? You're waiting on God to do something and God is waiting on you to become someone, a person of kingdom faith. Could it be that we're not experiencing the promises of God because of lack of faith. And again, some of you guys think you're waiting on God to do certain things. I think that God is waiting on us to become kingdom faith people. A couple more scriptures, Joshua 23, 14, it says, and not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God 
promise concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. I love it. The promises of God, not one of them have failed. Psalm 89, 34, again, lest you think that you've disqualified yourself because of some sin or because of some bad behavior. And let me just stop for a second and tell you this, remind you of this. The devil will never be able to whisper anything in God's ears that causes him to think differently about you. Oh, I messed up. I knew what I was getting into when I called you. Still love you. Still got my promises and my blessings and my favor for you. So lest you think that you're disqualified because you made a mistake. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All. You think he wasn't talking about me. He was talking about you. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But in Psalm 89, 34, God is having this discourse with David. And this is after David had sinned with Bathsheba and all these things. But God had made David a promise before then. And this is what he says. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back one word of what I said. This is God to David. I will not break my covenant. I know you messed up, but my word is my bond. Do you have faith enough to receive the promises of God? So there's a couple statements. The reward of faithfulness is that you can experience the manifest promise of God in your life. By faith, you can experience everything that the kingdom of God has available for you because you are a child of the living God. The reward of faithfulness is that you can experience the manifest promises of God in your life by faith. You can experience everything that the kingdom of God has available to you or for you because you are a child of God. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. One more quote from a writer. He says this. He says, when someone claims to have faith, what he or she may have is intellectual assent. Agreement maybe with a set of Christian teachings. And as such, it would be incomplete faith. Kingdom faith transforms our conduct as well as our thoughts. And if our life remains unchanged, we don't truly believe the truths that we claim to believe. You don't want to go through 2020 having an intellectual assent. You want to go through 2020 having kingdom faith. Because if you can just get the faith portion correct, you will flourish in kingdom living. Because according to the word, this is without faith. It's impossible to please God. I have to have kingdom worship. I have to have kingdom generosity. I have to have kingdom prayer. I have to have kingdom living, but it's all predicated by kingdom faith. Because if you don't believe the word of God, you will not walk out the word of God. Does that make sense? I've asked the worship team to come in.